Hi everyone and welcome to this first experimental session. Uh, I know that you um, stated in the lectures that you'd almost like to hear some more almost like podcast uh, format um, experiences from professionals. So this is the first attempt at trying that um, delivery mode out and I'm absolutely privileged to be here with my colleague Ian McKinnon uh, who uh, I work with at the Global Disability Innovation Hub. I know that I've mentioned my role there a few times um, but what we're going to do in this session, we're going to be talking or hearing about Ian's background. We're going to be hearing about some of the exciting things that he's done throughout his career. Uh, and we're also going to be uh, touching on the topic of inclusive design. So we're going to be taking this more as a, a, as a conversation than necessarily a formal lecture. Um, but we'll, we'll get right into it. So Ian, how are you doing? Lovely to be speaking with you. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, no, it's a real honor to have you here. And it's, uh, it's great to be able to uh, get my class to meet some more of my colleagues in this in this very important space. Good. Good. Yeah. I mean, uh, so do you want me to do a little introduction? Say a yeah, little that would be wonderful. I know you've got a really interesting and fascinating career and you've worked on amazing things like the Olympics in 2012, all the way to the stuff that we do at GDI Hub now. So honestly, don't hold back. Go, go, go in depth. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so I'm Ian McKinnon and I am one of the co-founders and a director of the Global Disability Innovation Hub. Um, and my role there primarily is to lead on the inclusive design work that we do. Um, so inclusive design, when I, I speak about inclusive design, it is, a, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a huge subject, really, and it, it touches all aspects of design. It's really pan-design discipline, you know. Um, good design is good inclusive design. But my my own personal background, I studied product design engineering at university. Um, and so I come from a product design, kind of industrial design training background. But I have only ever worked in inclusive design and primarily inclusive design of the built environment. So for the past kind of what, 16 years or whatever it is, I've, I've worked in that field. So um, as both the uh, a consultant, so in the private sector as a an inclusive design consultant to big kind of building development projects, working closely with architects and urban designers and, and planners, um, and then I guess latterly was as as the client. So I was the inclusive design champion, if you like, for the Olympic Park in East London mainly for all of the development that took place on the park after the Olympic and Paralympic Games. But I did know the people that, that delivered the inclusive design of the park for the games and had a little bit of involvement there, but it was mainly the post-games development um, of the park, which is significant and continues now to this day. Um, and then really through that work on the Olympic Park with, with others, um, co-created co the, the Global Disability Innovation Hub, which is where I work now. Um, and we do a lot of interesting stuff. Um, as I said, my focus is inclusive design, but that touches upon teaching, uh, training, um, consultancy advice, research, um, and working on much more internationally now. So we work uh, across the world, particularly with a focus on developing countries. Um, and really, ultimately, I suppose, from my point of view, sharing that experience and kind of knowledge that we've garnered from working 
mainly in the UK, but but from working on in inclusive design and, and really how, how we can best share the, 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 the really valuable and useful bits of information from that knowledge and experience working on inclusive design in these types of development projects uh, across the world. Great, that's a really good introduction. I, I think what, what would be almost useful to do, um, obviously you and I, we know the term inclusive design, uh, and probably we almost uh, fail to, to remember that that can be a new term for people. So I wonder if you can give us a bit of an explanation as to what, what that term means to you. Yeah, the, the, the language and the terminologies around um, inclusion, disability, you know, is, is fascinating and changes depending on where you are and it's constantly evolving. Um, inclusive, so for example, you know, inclusive design uh, in other parts of the world, you may hear universal design. You may hear like design for all or people friendly design. There's, there's lots of different kind of terminologies and they're slightly, they are slightly nuanced. There are slight differences uh, actually, but for me, inclusive design really is about um, for, for people who are in positions where they have responsibility and, and are, are actually making decisions about how things become the way they end up being. <laughs> so mainly designers, but not just designers, people in, in positions of power to, 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 who are responsible for kind of critical decisions about things. It's so important that they think about the widest possible range of end users when they're doing that. Um, it's the kind of classic example is it's it's you know quite often in in the as the, these are this is a kind of sweeping generalization, but quite often like in the design world certainly it's you know a certain demographic that's doing a lot of the design work, and if you if you don't have personal lived experience of for example disability, which is the key driving force for me behind the work that I do, it's, our focus is, is disability, then it's very easy. You know, it's I suppose it, it is a form of ignorance, but it's not intentional. But it is very easy not to appreciate. You know that the in, in the work that you're doing, you you can actually be ex excluding people through the work, the design that you're doing, the decisions that you're taking, and so inclusive design really is teaching people, giving people that foundation, that grounding, that that opens their eyes really to how important um, certain decisions are and the, the impact they could have on people's lives. Um, and the built environment's a great example to kind of showcase that, but it bleeds into digital, you know, um, all service products, industrial, you know, it, it, the, the principles of inclusive design are universally applicable. Right, and so, so there, you know, you, you, you've handily almost uh, gone onto a really interesting point of the principles of universal design. Now, I know you, we, we always probably come, a, come across various different principles, but I'd love to know what you think would be like the core things that underpin that term inclusive design. Yeah, for, for me, I mean, there are, you, there are like five kind of principles. I'm not gonna remember them now. <laughs> I wouldn't have them on a slide in front of me, but there are five kind of like generally accepted principles. It's like welcoming, you know, adaptable, flexible, friendly, you know, convenient and things. But but for me, the most important thing about all of it is, is experience. And what you're trying to do with good inclusive design is to make sure that everyone has an equally positive experience from where they are, what they're using, what they're interacting with. And that's the same for 
you know, a web interface or an app interface as it is, you know, how you're served a cup of coffee in a cafe. It's, it's the experience that you have as an end user, as a person. And good inclusive design um, should ensure that regardless of your ability or your support need, you should always be in a strong position to have an equally positive experience. Um, yeah, so that, that's what's important about it for me. Mm, I, I always find inclusive design is one of those areas that basically shows that the world can be much more like we, we can aspire to be more open and to consider everyone really. Um, but I guess what, one thing that I, is always quite interesting. So, of course, I'm kind of part between um, GDI Hub and the inclusive design world. Uh, but then I'm also very much in the entrepreneurship space. And one of the, the almost consistent piece of advice that, that people usually give uh, in, in entrepreneurship is that you should focus on real specific target audiences. Now, I always think that the unintended consequence of that is that folks who have maybe some slight differences, especially if it's uh, around things like disability or diversity or being inclusive, they tend to get almost pigeonholed as edge cases. And I, I can't stand that term personally. But I wonder if um, you might have any thoughts generally on how entrepreneurs might be able to approach this, given that you're already stretched too far and you're also sometimes being told to focus on people, uh, to focus on specific people rather than a general audience. Yeah, I mean, you'll have, depending on whatever project you're working on, you will have a uh, You'll have a demographic, pr probably, you know, that you're that you're focusing on. But it's important to recognise the diversity that will exist within that demographic. Um, and just as it's important to recognise that a, a diversity exists within disability, you know. So um, if your if your demographic is like I don't know, like young young people who enjoy sport, for example, then great. But remember that. There'll be uh, there'll be young disabled people who enjoy sport to to think about. There'll be, you know, young people from diverse, you know, backgrounds that that enjoy sport. You know, so and then when you think about disability, there's a diversity that exists within disability. So that I suppose good inclusive design tries to recognize that and and not to not to pigeonhole you know you can you can still i think i think you can still focus on a demographic um and 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 be inst but but still be inclusive um i think that's i think that's important um yeah great and in terms of i guess uh potentially some of the, the, the benefits of inclusive design. It'd be interesting to explore them. And the reason that I bring this up is because sometimes I've been involved in conversations where almost when we begin to think about diversity or you know the, the diversity, equity and inclusive agenda, and sometimes people can almost think that that's like a, an extra burden that yeah. they have to consider. And I don't believe that, but it's interesting to know that that's how some people can come to this space. Yeah. I mean, again, for me, it's interesting. I think one thing I'll, I'll, I'll say before I forget as well is that certainly thinking about entrepreneurship, um, even if you just look at the Global Disability Innovation Hub as an example, like the potential and the opportunities that exist within the disability sector 
and enormous, absolutely enormous. So if you are looking for opportunities or ways to be entrepreneurial, I would suggest you start in the disability sector because there's so much opportunity there. And then flowing on from that is to recognize that it's not just about catering for disabled people in the disability sector. If you, this is again, one of the kind of overarching principles of, of a good inclusive design um, is that if you design something well for disabled people, almost by default, it benefits all of us. And what you'll actually arrive at a better solution for all of us, it, it, you should arrive at something that's more intuitive, more usable, um, and therefore more enjoyable to use and, and, and more elegant even to use, you know. And it's, I, I, I make the comparison when I was studying at university doing product design engineering. So this is like 20 years ago or so. I, I was act, actively taught about, you know, about the population and, the, the, the general mix of the population and as a designer if you you want to you want to kind of have mass appeal and so therefore you should be thinking about that it was percentiles and it was like the fifth to the 95th percentile and it was like a bell curve and we were taught if you if you if you design for people in here that's the kind of the majority of the population and you should be you should be good you know and thankfully what we've seen recently and 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 now where we're at is that that's been flipped on its head and we're saying well actually you know, if you are designing well for people, as, as you said, Reese, who historically have been classed as in the margins, um, but if you design something that, work, that works really well for them, then by default, what you've created will also work far better for everybody else in the middle. And so it's just, it's helping you deliver, as I said before, more, more intuitive, more, more usable, and therefore more elegant solutions. That, that are easier for people to use, the more legible, simpler, cleaner, you know, uh, more efficient. That's, that, these are all adjectives that I would use to describe inclusive design. Um, and, and that you can see how closely lined it is to just, just good design. Mm, no, definitely. And I, I mean, I personally always think that uh, once you begin to start thinking about this uh, inclusive design considerations, like you start to see around the world that there are those little examples that you go and think, huh, okay, that can help someone, uh, that can help the general population. But I wonder who else that could help. So, I mean, the example that I'd use uh, that, you know, I've began to notice recently is the increase in closed captions. So if you're like on social media, usually people are now including uh, closed captions because it means that everyone else can view them without having to have the sound on. Yeah. But of course, the unintended or uh, even the, the intended benefit of that is that now people who have hearing impairments, social media is becoming infinitely more accessible just by this slight behavior change. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if there are any any examples or things that you notice and not to put you on the spot. But um, I, I, there are there are lots of, of, of examples that there's um, I'd say that there's uh, there's examples of where. There's examples of where disability has actually driven the innovation that's gone on to become kind of mainstream. You know, they, they, there's and there's a few kind of classics that, that I suppose that I can I can trot out. So one would be like, you know, sp speech recognition software, for example. You know, um, we would say is something that was really developed with people in mind who couldn't um, use uh, computers like PCs who struggled to use manual keyboards and 
and interact with a, a computer, a PC, you know, manually, maybe through um, lower limb disability or manual dexterity issues, you know, or, or a cognitive disability. So the speech recognition software was kind of developed, you know, in part to look at that. And that obviously then evolved and has, has become, you know, like speech recognition software that, that's so mainstream now, but its origins kind of, you know, the genesis of it was, was actually stemmed from supporting disabled people, but it's actually something that's, again, kind of more convenient and desirable now for all of us. And we're seeing how, you know, it, 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 the, the, the big step change was Apple launching Surrey 10, like 10 years ago now, and then now, how that's kind of exploded and you've got smart speakers and, you know, in every home and, and people using, you know, dictate on software and things like that. So that, you know, I use that, like I, I if I'm writing a report, I use dictate, you know, so uh, that's a good example. There's, there's quite, a, quite a few other examples. Um, and it's funny, like, once you once again, once your eyes have kind of been opened to it, it, it you kind of go, it, you, it makes sense. But and, and before you, it's pointed out to you, it's you sometimes don't realize. Um, I mean, there's, there's, I would say there's, there's also there's companies, there's organizations out there that are recognizing the, the value this can bring and making it a bit of a USP for themselves, you know. So if you think about Apple for as an example, um, and how. Again, it's, 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 it's driven by good design, good inclusive design. So how they, they try to make the products so kind of intuitive and usable because they have, they're sold universally around the world. And so that makes good sense. So that's the products have to be inclusive because they're literally sold in every corner of the globe. Um, and likewise with Microsoft, you know, the, the, a lot of the accessible features that they embed in their software um, Many of that originally intended for to support disabled people, but mainstream pe people latch onto it because it's it's so convenient and things like that's how like you know SMS messaging back in the day was seen as being great to support deaf people to communicate, but you know now we all text you know because it's you know it's convenient and just a good thing to do. Um, so there are there are lots of examples that, that demonstrate how disability has has you know has driven the innovation the thing about necessity being the mother of all invention it's driven the innovation but then you can also see how um how good inclusive design has then gone on to have main have mainstream appeal oh definitely I, and i i think um what would also be useful to begin to unpick a little bit so in in our course um, I teach uh, as you might expect, as you might expect, um, design thinking. So we talk about the Stanford um, design thinking process, the double diamond, and um, we also talk a little bit about some um, slightly more um, out there models like parallel convergence. So you try lots of different things so that you always have different options. Mm. But I guess really the question is, you know, they, or we've kind of almost been discussing what inclusive design is and maybe some of the benefits. But I guess it would also be useful to begin to think through or to explore for, for my students how you can actually begin to practically put this into practice. Yeah, um, the, the key thing there then is that it, it's, uh, it should be, uh, it should be, as an inclusive design, as a process, um, and it should be embedded at each stage of your, of your design process. Um, you need to embed 
inclusive design. It's something that you have to do from the very beginning and, and follow it all the way through. It's like, it's like links in a chain. If one piece is missing, then the whole thing can fall down. Um, if, I, if I make the, if I, I can relate that then to like uh, buildings, it's the design cycle, the, the project cycle stages are broadly similar um, in, in different design industries. You know, you have the vision, you come up with the brief, you know, that's that's where you embed inclusive design in the original design brief. It, ha it, it should have in there the, the, the ambition, the desire to create something that's genuinely inclusive. And then that has to be woven all the way through, um, you know, as you get into the design stage. And then the other really important kind of fundamental part is your engagement with end users. So the engaging, genuine engagement of disabled people and older people. Um, and, you know, again, thinking about your target demographic, engaging with those people, again, really early, but all the way through the design process is absolutely fundamental. Um, and I have personal experience of, of this working on the Olympic Park. We had um, an access panel, a, a group of local disabled people who we um, part of my job was to facilitate, you know, workshop sessions between them and the design team, so the architects and the designers and the planners, and you know, those those sessions were like amazing, like because it was where you had the design team sitting down, often for the first time in their entire careers, with real not just real live users but real live disabled users, and actually getting that um, really rich feedback and and um and kind of experience mm -hmm. and again it was i would i used to always call it like penny drop moments you could see these designers you could see the penny drop and going oh of course I, I, of course now i can completely understand why my main entrance and the reception desk configuration and things like, or the flow through my building wouldn't work for you know someone who is i don't know has a mobility impairment or you know has a as as neurodiverse as a cognitive impairment you know you, then they can, and and that was great. Like you could, and, and you knew that the the designers that were really good, you could, you knew that they were going to take that knowledge onto the future projects. You know, so um, so in short, it needs to be embedded right through the process, and and you need to engage with end users. Um, you know, in the built environment, we talk about you're obviously creating something physical. Um, so it's important to get that right from an inclusive design point of view, but then. The, set, the, the, the software aspects of the, the operation, the management of that facility. So the softer side, so like, you know, the staff training, um, you know, the management and operation of the building, like processes that are in place, all of that also has to be inclusively designed and curated. Again, otherwise it all falls down. And it comes back to my, my earlier point about experience. What you're trying to do here is to create positive experience, experiences for people. And so inclusive design has to be con con consistently applied all the way through. I mean, I, I love that as well, because like in, in the context of entrepreneurship, I think, um, you know, Microsoft obviously focused uh, on um, product development and, and prototypes. Uh, that's why it's called product development and prototyping. Um, but I think the point that I, I tried to make to uh, the students is generally that we, we should always be considering the service design aspect of this. And as you say, like in, in your context that you're most familiar with in the built environment, that might be the folks in the, in the building, whereas it's in, in the entrepreneurship uh, perspective, 
that's ba that's basically everyone in the business that supports that product and works with the users. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, my during my time as the inclusive design lead on the Olympic Park and all the, the development that happened there, you know, most of the the feedback that I got from park users, visitors, spectators, you know, uh, you know, organizers, most of the feedback that you would get about about at the park was set was service related. You know, it was it it was rare that someone would come back to you and say, you know, oh, this, the gradient on this slope is slightly off or that these, like, you know, that the, these stairs aren't quite in the right, you know, the right heights and profile or, you know, that, that was occasionally might, you might get that, but that was actually quite rare. Most people were okay with that. It was actually the, again, it was a, it, people react to their experience. So if they went to an event in the Olympic stadium, which has been designed to be incredibly inclusive. But if one of the marshals or like security guards that's marshalling the event is hasn't been properly briefed on the inclusive facilities that exist, you know, hasn't had disability equality and awareness training to be able to appropriately conduct themselves with members of the public who have a disability, then, you know, they, they often can be rude, you know, and inappropriate. And then the whole, it doesn't matter that you've got the most inclusively designed stadium in the UK. <laughs> it doesn't matter. That person has already has had a terrible experience and is, is going to vent that. Yeah. Um, and is unlikely to ever come back, to be honest. So it's, it's so important that you, it has to be followed through. You have to think about, again, and I'm sure you do this, like the, the, user, the whole user journey process. You think about inclusive design through that whole thing, you know, from, and we do it for buildings and we do it and, and you know, you think about the fact that pe most people's first interaction going somewhere isn't when they get to the front door, but it's probably when they look it up online and, and you know, check it out. And so then you're thinking, well, is the website accessible? Is, is the information on it up to date? Is, is there specific accessibility information? Can they contact the venue and ask about access facilities and things like that? All of this stuff before they've even left their house, <laughs> you know. And again, it's it's all about that. All adds or, or detracts from the experience they have. Yeah, I I think in a way that's almost one of the most exciting things about being uh, in this space of being able to influence products and experiences because it's just the extent that you can begin to have an impact on people's lives. And I, I think the point I try to make with with my course is that. The awesome thing about product development and entrepreneurship is you genuinely can make a difference in the world. The downside is you can also make a bad uh, impression on the world. So you've got to be careful. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I used to, um, I, I used to do kind of like the occasional guest lecture back to like my old course, for example, and things. And because um, it struck me that I, I don't think while I was a student, I don't think anyone ever asked me like why I was doing it. You know, um, I've thought about this a lot, and I don't, I don't think anyone really did ever ask me why, why, why have you chosen this? Course? Why do you want to be a designer? Why do you want to design products? As it was that I was doing, and um, and and now that I, I do inclusive design, and that's my focus, you know. But so I, when I do like, I quite like to do that, like giving guest lectures. I like to ask students, you know, to think a little bit about like why. Why do you want to be a designer or an entrepreneur? Why do you want to, you know, um, 
create things, invent things, you know, and and the I, I, everybody's different, um, which is what inclusive design is about, of course. But so people have different views and opinions, and some people, you know, some people might just want to make some money, like that's okay, that's fine, you know. Some people might just want to create stuff that's really cool. Again, that's all right, that's that's fine. But there will be some people that um, want to try and make a difference, you know. And for me personally, that's what I felt most passionate about was like if I'm going to if I'm going to learn and, and go to the trouble to learn all these skills and then go out into the world, go out into industry, what what do I really want to do with them? And for me, it was about trying to make stuff better, you know. So mm. try and make. It just so happened that I ended up working in buildings, you know. But I, whatever it was, I did. I saw my role as being to try and make stuff better for people. And, and in, in that sense, for me, it was about being easier to use, you know, try and make make it the world a more accessible place for people and try and prevent people having those barriers in their daily lives and being excluded, you know. Um, and so I guess the role of teaching inclusive design is, is, is to plant that seed in the people who, who just want to make money or just want to make stuff that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that, but as an inclusive design practitioner and teacher, we just want to plant the seed that says, go off, make a lot of money, make stuff that's really cool. But in doing so, make sure it's inclusive because it's going to benefit everyone and you'll actually probably make a bigger return. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and that point of generally, you know, it's not just always a case of doing this because it makes you feel good or it's good for the world. There's also money in it. Like, and yeah. I think too often we kind of feel that we shouldn't highlight that, but there is money. These are you know, billions of people across the world that are yeah. extra audience. It's, it's so true. You know, like, uh, it's so true. Like, I mean, what, look at, look at products that succeed and survive, you know, that are, that are sustainable and, and last a long time. Look at good design that lasts a long time. I guarantee you, if you, if you pick anything from any, any industry uh, that's considered really good design and you analyze it, I'll, I'll bet you it's it's inclusive. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so so obviously this is, uh, and this will be my second to last question. Um, but generally, these are all of the the ways in which you you can begin to um, apply inclusive design. But I guess I'd also be interested to know, like, what are some of the difficulties you've encountered or challenges uh, in trying to practice inclusive design? Yeah, um, I mean, again, I, I suppose. Some of the challenges that it has been um, part of my job, certainly on the Olympic Park, sometimes felt like it, like you were, you had to educate people. Sometimes take people on the kind of journey with you. Again, you know, diff people are different, have different experiences, and, and design teams, designers, architects that that I was working with, some really got it and or, or knew about it, and, and it was fine. But there was there, there were some that you had to work with that that didn't get it and initially didn't want to, like didn't see the value in it, um, saw it as a tick box exercise, as a regulatory com compliance aspect, um, you know, and you could see that they, sometimes you could see that they were generally a bit annoyed that they had to, they had to deal with this, you know. Um, and so that could be challenging, but, but again, part of my job there was to bring them around like to to you know not to just mandate it but actually to educate them um in, in doing it um 
and get them to appreciate the value and then and whatever we produced you know making sure that that value was evidenced and visible and, and they could they could they could at the end of the process they could look back and see oh yeah actually that did that I can I can see now why that was important so that that can be that can be tough um, I, I suppose trying to what I've spoken about before I mean it's Inclusive design is about recognizing the widest possible range of end users' needs, whilst also recognizing that it's impossible to meet everybody, everybody's individual needs and requirements. And so there will be, there, there are times, like any topic or, 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 or area, where you do need to make tough decisions or, or compromises, or, you know, there may be things that, that just isn't possible. And that, that, that's where it gets hard. Um, but for me, in those moments, that's where genuine end user consultation is invaluable. So, you know, whenever I had a situation where something that you would ideally want to do just wasn't possible, those are the moments that you would go back to your panel of end users and say, right, we can't do this for X, Y, Z. We're going to have to try and achieve, again, this thinking about the experience, we're going to have to try and achieve a solution that gives an a similar experience, but in a, in a different way. And then actually to try and turn it into a positive, that's where innovation usually would pop its head up, you know, because that was where you would think, we can't do it the way we would normally do it. So we need to try and look at well, what else is possible. And it's in those moments that you would probably come up with, you know, innovative ideas. And in other words, things that hadn't been done before. Um, so yeah, I suppose it's there are challenges, there are tough decisions to make. There's sometimes compromises that you have to make that you, you would otherwise not want to. You do make mistakes. You're always learning. I'm still learning. I still make mistakes. Um, but it's, the important thing is that you try to turn things into positives where you can and, and look for room opportunities to innovate um, and that you learn from your lessons and you don't repeat them. And you also, what we're doing now is trying to share those lessons with others so that they don't have to go through the same pain. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Uh, that, that, that's a you know really good reminder that sometimes constraints can feel almost a bit oppressive, but sometimes you can find some magic there, you know? Yeah, it's it's so important. Like reg, regulation, like certainly in, in buildings, in the built environment world, you know, in the same in all industries, really, you have regulations and regulations exist for good reason, you know, and they are important, but I always say you should never feel bound by them. Um, if you really listen to your end users and you really, you really, you know, respond and design something that genuinely really works well for them, addresses their needs, and follows good practice guidance, mm. then I can almost guarantee you that they will always meet the regulations almost by default, you know? Um, and if, even if they are, because regu re regulations are there, it's, it's never, yeah, never feel bound by them. You know, there are ways to, to innovate and uh, improve them sometimes. Definitely. And just as a final point, like if any of um, my students are interested in learning more about this, where, where would you say is a good starting point? Well, there's there's lots of resources um, online. I mean, clearly the Global Disability Innovation Hub um, website has, has, has got some some information on, on, on us. You can always get in touch with us or, or, or even with me. It's, it's not a problem. Um, but then there's, there's other good places um, 
kind of resources that, that you can find, like the, the Design Council does some good work on, on inclusive design. Again, that's maybe slightly skewed towards the built environment. Um, Cambridge University has an inclusive design toolkit online, which is quite, quite good. Um, you know, in terms of signposting resource and, 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 and things like that. Um, yeah, but, but in all honesty, I think uh, check out GDI Hub and... Um, I can, I can uh, definitely recommend that as well. Cool. So thank you so much, Ian. Um, I hope to all of my students that are watching this, that this has been interesting to expose you to uh, just another uh, route that you can take with product development. So thank you so much, Ian, and uh, uh, look forward to uh, touching base in normal day-to-day -day work. Thanks, Reese. No problem. Take care of yourself.